I said, hey, ladies and fellas, if you're listening. As a woman of color, it is so hard to find lipsticks and glosses that really pop on my beautiful brown skin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When the lipstick is giving lackluster instead of Lil Mama, okay? (laughs) Well, I discovered the most radiant, saturated, and pigmented lipsticks for richer complexions, and I found them at the Lip Bar. The Lip Bar is a black woman-owned and led beauty brand that focuses on providing effortless beauty options for all women, but especially women like us with highly melanated skin. Oh, and did I forget to mention that all Lip Bar products are vegan and cruelty-free? Get into it, friends. Make sure you click the link in the show notes to receive 10% off your first or next order of beauty products at the Lip Bar. Hashtag, you're welcome. If you feel that their plan isn't prescribed for you and what you need, it's okay to say no. And like I said, I have told doctors no before as to why I changed some doctors because I did not feel comfortable with what they were Mm. trying to do with my body. Mm. And um, I even shared the story on the podcast and with you before about how I left that one doctor's office. I literally, she told me she didn't want to be my doctor because she thought I was high risk. I was fat, black, and over age. And so I told my husband, I said, okay, well, hand me my panties and we're leaving. You are now listening to the Sugar Free Podcast, the premier life advice podcast for millennial women. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast, the life advice podcast for millennial women, hosted by me, your homegirl in your head, Sid Matt. So let me come correct, okay? Let me come correct. Let me start off by apologizing to you all for missing last week. I'm not going to come up in here and try to pretend like I didn't miss a week and just try to sweep it under the rug and be like, hey, big head. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to insult y'all like that. So let me start off this episode with an apology. I am sorry for missing last week. I know that I have promised to give y'all an episode every single week, every single Monday. And last week, I failed in that promise. And so for that, I am sorry. Now, I would like to say that I had a very good excuse, okay? I had a very good excuse if y'all want to hear it. Okay, good, because I know you do. So where was I last week? Last week, I was smack dab in the middle of my fertility journey. And I was undergoing the process to have my eggs frozen. And so for the last couple of weeks, I have been in the middle of an IVF cycle. So that means I've been doing the injections. I've been going to the doctor every day, just about to have an ultrasound, to have blood work and to make sure I'm okay. And then I've also been having to do injections, two to three injections per day while I prepared for the culminating activity, which was the actual egg retrieval, which I was undergoing last Monday. So that's where I was. Now that's no excuse because with technology, we could do things in advance, right? I could have had this prepared for y'all in a week in advance or whatever, what have you, I could have, but I didn't. Why? Because the cycle of IVF ain't no joke, (laughs) y'all. 
when I tell y'all that the process ain't no joke, I'm not lying. Okay? It was hard on my body. It was really rough. Having to do the injections and take the medicines every single day. So I also had some oral medications that I had to take. It was a lot. It was really hard on my body. And leading up to the retrieval, the injections become more frequent. They become more intense. And I just didn't have it in me, y'all. I didn't have it in me. And so I gave myself the day off. I gave myself some grace. (laughs) And I hope that y'all will do the same. So one thing that stood out to me as being so crazy is that when you're going through the process as a woman, even as a pregnant woman, because your body in IVF mimics a lot of the symptoms you experience during pregnancy, hormones out of whack, weight gain, severe bloating, your your stomach bloats and you know all of that stuff. Is that when you're going through this process, people expect you to carry on as normal when you feel anything but normal. When your body is experiencing things that are not normal. These are extraordinary things that you're experiencing. These are extraordinary things that your body is doing. But for some reason, people think that you should just get up in the morning, brush your teeth, go to work. Like everything's normal. And it ain't. Okay, friends, it ain't normal. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for how unnormal I was going to feel and how abnormal the process was going to be and so my bad (laughs) sorry but not sorry I gave myself some grace and so so that's what it was and so anybody who was thinking about undergoing egg retrieval or egg freezing know that the process is going to be 10 times more disruptive than you could have possibly imagined I was going to the doctor every single day for blood work and ultrasound. And then I was waiting for a call from my doctor every single afternoon so he could update me on what medications to inject myself with every evening. And I was injecting myself two to three times every evening. And I'm not a doctor, y'all. Like when I tell you that CVS Pharmacy literally showed up at my doorstep with a bucket full of syringes and a bottle full of medicine and said, good luck. That's what it was. So I'm sitting up here trying to play doctor, nurse, doula, and midwife to myself, trying to administer these drugs. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I'm having to basically be at the hospital every single day. My life revolved around my fertility for two solid weeks. So I started the oral medication maybe three weeks before. So it's probably been probably been about six weeks where my life has been all about medications, injections, eggs, ultrasounds, and I'm still on the oral medication. So today is my last day. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But it's been a journey, y'all. It has been a journey. And with that, I, I have to. I cannot let this show go by without giving a shout out to my mom. And all the other moms out there who have given birth to a child. And no shade to fathers, but this just one, it just ain't a shout out for you. It ain't about you. Okay. And so these are, this shout out is for all the mothers, whether you have experienced infertility or not, the process of physically birthing a child and bringing a baby into this world whoo, is the biggest sacrifice that any human can make in their life. Period. Nobody's going to be able to tell me different. Sharing your body with a little parasite. Sorry, y'all. That's what it is. A little parasite for 10 months while they drain you of your energy, while it drains you of your sanity, while your body stretches beyond what is human, normal, or natural. Okay? All of that. You cranky. You're tired. You feel like a fat elephant. Okay, and you do it for 10 months and then you go through the excruciating pain of actually birthing the baby. Shout out to y'all. Shout out to y'all. 
Thank you, mama. I love you. Like, I appreciate you. Thank you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And what a fitting place for us to be because this week we are, you guessed it, discussing part two of our How to Navigate Fertility episode. So what a wonderful time for me to discuss my fertility journey when that's exactly what we're talking about this week. So this week we are following up with last week, excuse me, two weeks ago's guest, Miss Shalmika Sweet, who talked to us about the journey that she took spending eight plus years trying to get pregnant and the toll that took on her physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually with her partner and as an individual. And so this week we're following up that conversation, discussing the financial challenges of infertility, the spiritual challenges of infertility, and then also how to advocate for yourself when you are going through the process to make sure that both you and your baby get the care that you need and deserve to be happy, healthy, and yeah, to be happy and healthy. <laughs> so with that, that's that's it for me, y'all. Thank y'all so much for hanging in there with me. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me the grace that I really need. I know y'all gave it to me. You don't have to tell me uh, to have gone through this process. And I'm so grateful to have gone through this process and so grateful that I could come here and share it with y'all. So if any of you guys are considering freezing your eggs, make sure you tune in this week and really listen to the episode. And with that, are y'all ready? Wonderful. Let's get into it. Miss Shalmika Sweet. Hey, girl. Welcome to the tea party once again. Please tell the good people who you are and what you do. Well, I am Shalmika Sweet. I am an educator by profession. Um, I teach at South Mountain Community College. But as to my being here today, I'm talking about my podcast, the Beyond Conception podcast. And it was developed from my experience with infertility and dealing with that nine-year journey and the ups and downs of that as a woman, but then also as a wife. And my husband and I on this podcast talk about the ups and downs of infertility and how it impacted our marriage, us individually and collectively. But to be a pillar of support from our perspective, we are not the experts. Everybody's journey is different. But to help you to go through those things that are just beyond your conception, what you can conceptualize for yourself in this process. It's more than just conceiving a baby. It's the whole mental, physical, spiritual, financial, um, emotional, every aspect of your life that is just, wow, how am I going to get through this? It is beyond my conception to conceptualize this happening to me. So that's who I am in a nutshell. And to particularly help people, get through this because it is a chore. It is something that one never thinks that will happen to them until it happens to you. And yeah. um, that's why. Oh my gosh. I love that. I actually, okay. so I want to get back to, to the story. I know we <laughs> got a little bit off course, but say. so you had left off with you having met this fantastic holistic doctor who put uh -huh. you on an eating regimen of sorts that got your cycle back regular uh -huh. and so like what were some other things because I'm assuming that once your cycle was back regular it wasn't like you just had the baby boom like no. you were fixed so like what were some additional treatments because I feel like a the the other thing that uh, a lot of women aren't familiar with are what the different treatments are that are uh -huh. out there that are available that they may have to go through so like what what were some other treatment yeah. steps along the way to conceptions so yeah my treatment again was a diet and exercise I too I don't eat red meat or pork mm -hmm. um I'll eat chicken I went for a few years, um, even after I had my daughter being pescatarian, which works really well for me when I do like a pescatarian Mediterranean kind of like diet. That's what I do. Um, but I also, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it works wonders mm -hmm. from that regard. I also had a septate uterus. And so I had to have a surgery to remove the tissue that was actually closing up my uterine cap cavity. Um, my uterus was shut up literally. So like the doctor explained to me, like your uterus grows like a flower. It blossoms in feet in your fetal develop development. So mine, instead of growing out to a whole cavity, it was like this, almost like a heart mm. shape, but really to the tip of the heart 
almost close to the um, entry, this, my cervix, the mm. tissue was almost touching that. Wow. So they had to go in and remove the tissue to open up space for a baby to even be housed in my uterus. Because oh, you can get pregnant, but you're not going to have enough space. Now, some women go on to have successful pregnancies, not even knowing they have a septate uterus or even a bicornea uterus, where it's like two horns, like your uterus is divided. So you have a uterus over here and over there. Mm. And there's nothing wrong. But since they, I was going through infertility treatment, they saw that through their imaging and stuff of that nature. And you have to do this painful dye test that makes sure your fallopian tubes are open and all that. And in that dye test, they realized that I had a septate uterus, but then they weren't sure if it was septate or bicornuate. So I had to go get an M- MRI to give a further diagnosis, which then came to that. So they had to, I had to do that surgery twice because oh. one of the doctors, um, they put a balloon in after the surgery that's supposed to keep the space open so that way it doesn't reseal. And my balloon came out within 48 hours after surgery and I was freaking out. So I go back up to the doctor's office and- Oh, they he, sent you home? Yeah, it's an um, it's an outpatient surgery. So you go in and then a few hours after the surgery, they send you home. Ooh. For me, it was. So um, yeah, I went back to the doctor's office. My doctor who performed the surgery, he wasn't there. He came highly recommended and his partner was there. I asked for an exam. He was like, well, I don't really want to give you an exam. You're fresh out of surgery. I was like, well, can you look? Because I was just freaking out. I didn't want it to close. Well, he assured me I was going to be okay. And I entrusted, that was one time I entrusted the doctor against my own intuition. Mm. It sealed back up. So I had to have another surgery and I left that practice because there were some other things that happened there. You know, I caught the nurses talking about publicly about my miscarriage in the office and I come around the corner and I heard them down the hall and they're talking specifically about me and my issues, but not in a way of like treating a patient, but in a way of talking about the patient that I just didn't Mm. like. And other things, the front office wasn't friendly and all that. And again, I'm in a space where I'm the only face. I'm trying to be nice and polite and how's everybody? But you're also nursing and nurturing your own emotions and feelings on the topic. I know. You should not be carrying everybody else's opinions, especially strangers. We don't even know y'all. I know, right? (laughs) And I was. And that's the sad part on my part. Um, But I've learned not to do that. And I left that practice and I went to another doctor who came highly recommended. She redid my surgery. So I had to do that. And then my husband, he had to go see his neurologist to get his sperm morphology corrected. And now it's been corrected um, to where they're swimming straight instead of spinning around. He said they just blind and know where they were going. (laughs) We swimming. Just swimming. They're just having a party. It's like the kid who spins around in circles until they fall to the ground and the world's looping around. That's what his sperm was doing. Um, But that has, that was fixed. And so doing all those things and again, trying to watch what I eat and keep my insulin levels down and our A1C levels. Cause I, um, I believe they're the same. I'm not a doctor, but you know, monitoring those things. So it wasn't, yeah. When I started going to her in 2008, again, I didn't get pregnant with my daughter until 2013. And mm. that time we were doing IUI. Now what IUI is, is basically where, um, it's not IVF where they pull an IVF, they pull an egg from the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take the sperm and they inseminate it in a tray to let it grow mature to conceive into a fertilized egg. Mm. However, in IUI, they basically have me ovulate and then they inject my husband's sperm inside of me mm-hmm. while I'm laying on a table and you keep your feet elevated and you lay there for a certain amount of time. And they hope that it'll go that route. Now, my doctor, he mm. said we didn't have to go into IVF immediately. He felt that we could do it through IUI with mm. under his medical supervision and, you know, being more calculated according to the doctor's time clocks instead of us doing it on our own. So, so if like, what would IUI. be the difference between you having sex with your husband at that exact moment versus 
them. It's basically going to the doctor's office and they're monitoring. So they're keeping a more, I can keep a more closer eye on, you know, your ovulation and stuff like that. It's basically they were doing it because they would literally a day or two before you do the IUI, they look to see, okay, how many mature follicles or eggs you have. Mm. And then they can kind of predict, okay, well, we're going to do this insemination because hopefully these will be released. So then that way they can inject the sperm to help with it more, um, more calculated move of that. Mm. Because again, at home, we don't see the follicles, whereas in the office, they can see the follicles and they can kind of be more calculated with how they're going to do this procedure. So that's what kind of is open. Because it's like, why didn't your husband just do it? No, it's try to be more precise in gotcha. our target. Try to get a better aim. Gotcha. <laughs> to make sure they mm-hmm. swim in at the perfect angle. <laughs> yeah. So they can see the follicles and they can go in and try to calculate it better. So that's what we did. And again, we went through. Are, uh, can I can I ask a follow up yeah. question to that? So yeah. I know that IVF is particularly expensive. And so mm-hmm. I'm doing the egg freezing. And so for those of you out there who are maybe less familiar with the process, freezing your eggs is the first half of IVF. It's where mm-hmm. you go through the entire process of like injecting yourself with something. I don't know yet. And then they like do the ultrasound, see like that you have a good pull for the eggs and then they go in and they pull them out and you can either freeze the eggs by themselves or if you have a sperm, you can like put them together and they create an embryo and then you can see how many embryos you have. So I'm doing everything except for the part where you inseminate and just that part is $20,000. And IVF each cycle, if you do IVF each cycle can be between like 20 and 30,000 if you have like Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the embryo or if you're just doing the eggs. And so is IUI, because you talked about earlier about the conception process, not just being difficult emotionally, but also financially. And that was something I hadn't even really thought about talking about, but I feel like it's important. Like, w- was that expensive, the IUI? Or like, was it something that was covered under your health insurance? Um, or was it something you had to pay for out of pocket? Yeah, no, my husband at the time, he had wonderful health insurance. And so that did help cut the cost. IUI is cheaper than IVF. Um, we spent about between three to $5,000 for okay. IUI. And I still have to do injections too, to help produce the follicles and stuff of that nature um, as well. But it was definitely cheaper and we were bracing ourselves. Okay, if IUI doesn't work, then we're going to have to go, you know, higher and pay for the IVF. Um, My doctor, he was like, if you want to go straight to IVF, you can. He's like, I don't think you guys need that. He was like, according to your cases, everybody's case is different. Not everybody will need IVF or IUI. It could be fixed with metformin or seeing the neurologist or whatever the case may be. But for us, he recommended IUI first. And then he was like, if that does not work, then let's do IVF. So we agreed to that. So yeah, for us, you know, that was the route that we took that, thanks be to God, it worked, you know, after that second round, in between that third round. That was going to be my next question. Did it work? Because then, because then you all, if it hadn't worked in the back of your mind, you're thinking, Mm -hmm. should we have just gone balls to the walls from day one (laughs) and just did the IVF? You know what I mean? Like, you got to be um, strategic with your coin. So, yes, when I started this process, I was at my old job. Mm. And I, under that health plan, I didn't have any they didn't cover any of this, my surgery, all that I had to cover when Mm -hmm. I got my new job working at the university full time, the university healthcare plan, thank God Mm -hmm. covered 95% of -hmm. this. So I was able to do it. But when you're talking about having to endure multiple rounds and this is a first step, it's like, I gotta be, you know, judicious with my coin we I may not have enough money to get to the last step like let's just go on ahead and do it first and have the highest likelihood of success because if we like are forced to do three rounds of this and then IVF I I may be out of money by then yeah and that is a common problem that happens with couples individuals that are trying to 
um, plan their family. It is the financial piece. It is the coin that can get exhausted. And then it halts your dream of having a family outside of you and your partner, you know, having children. So with that said, I do want to state this, and I'm very clear with this even on the podcast, with medical intervention, it's a great tool. However, it's not always guaranteed. Even if we were to do IVF from the get-go, you're always hoping and praying that this will be successful. But there are people who have done IVF for years and it just does not work for whatever reason. And um, and again, it's no indictment on them. It still takes that part of medicine meeting in which I believe, you know, the power of God is colliding mm-hmm. and allowing that moment to manifest. Because even without IUI or IVF, if we were just to go home and just have sex between us, that is still a divine intervention that goes beyond mm-hmm. us. And with everything, it's an act of faith. It's your faith work of saying, okay, I'm going to use this medicine in faith to allow it to happen. And even if it doesn't happen, God is still able. He's mm. still able to do it. And it's and that was the whole battle for me was the whole faith component because mm. it was so challenging, you know, having the faith to pay it too because there were times where we mm. had to stop because mm. we were like, right now we can't afford this. This is just, it's a priority, but it's not a priority. And since we got to live. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got to have somewhere to house this baby when it comes. Right. <laughs> we don't want to be on the street or bumming off the couch with our parents Girl. or whatever, but we got to so, eat. We got to eat, you know, <laughs> we got to save a little something. And some people go through their savings. They make cash in their 401 cases. It's that important. Some people probably they could sell their right arm to make this happen. They will do it. I was that person. So you have to, yes, think fiscally smart, but at the same time, you have to do what's in the best interest for you. And it's okay. And I tell people all the time, it's okay to stop, regroup. If you have to save a little bit, the resolve group, they have, um, grants and scholarships available. And even there are payment plans in the clinic that you can do payment plans, or you can, if you want to take out a loan through the clinic, Mm -hmm. you can do that as well. So really looking and having those conversations with your clinic and saying, okay, this is what my treatment plan is. Do we need to start low and then go high? And how can we do installments on this? Or do you all finance this? What grants, what scholarships, looking at your employee benefits, and seeing, you know, what it is. I saw on the news that um, Starbucks, they offer, now I'm not telling you to quit your job and go work for Starbucks. But That's what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying. Is, well, what I'm saying is if you work for Starbucks, you know, they <laughs> do help with infertility treatment. So looking at your benefits and seeing how that helps you um, with that. I didn't have the courage to tell people. I remember when we were purchasing our first home, we were going through IVF, or not IVF, but we were going through IUI at the time. And so, you know, we were purchasing a home, you got to have money for the down payment and all this. We had to take some money from our down payment and put it mm. towards IUI because mm. we were in the thick of it. And I was like, how is this colliding at the same time? And um, shout out to my brother-in-law, sister-in-law. They didn't know it at the time. They loaned us the amount that we were, it was like $500 or something shy of that. And when we paid it back to them after we closed, but it was just stuff like that. And that's just daily Mm. life. Yeah. It interweaves with your um, infertility Mm. on all aspects, you know, leaving the doctor's office and then running to a meeting or Mm. teaching that class or going to the courtroom, you know, and you're in pain or you're trying to get through it and Mm. managing that, getting a phone call from the doctor on your break that, sorry, it just didn't take this month. We're going to hope again for next month or Mm. this test result is you know, hearing all that and having to brace it and go through it. Or some days you're just like, I can't deal. I'm going to be in the bed. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. Everybody sees me. You're not going to get the best of me today. So get out of my way. Listen, when I had my um, cervix um, removed, I had to have part of my cervix removed as part of the treatment. Uh, I had the surgery on a Monday. They, it was outpatient similar to you. They did it see if you're okay and they send you home on Thursday I had to teach a three-hour class I didn't have no more because you can't cancel class I had to to go teach class I couldn't walk so I taught the class remotely thank god it was um the after the onset of the pandemic so we had normalized 
having a remote class or two by this point. So I taught my class remotely, but even just doing that, I had moved too much and my cervix got infected. Mm. Right. And I had to, they had to go give me the treatments or whatever to clear up the infection. And so that prolonged my healing, which should have been about six weeks to about two and a half months. (laughs) you know and so like you're right people don't talk about that and so you know people are like oh you know I I I came to work sick or sick today and I'm like bro I'm at work (laughs) you know what I mean like in pain girl (laughs) women are so strong like we deserve a medal like really like when men are like "Eh, eh, I'm sick like bro like (laughs) we're dying several seats right (laughs) right this right here is so painful it is it is and I Mm -hmm. my doctor I was supposed to do it this summer actually and my my doctor was like oh are you ready and I was like I'm trying to have a hot girl summer can we can we push it back he was like are you serious I was like I'm dead ass I need to have this happen after hot girl summer world tour and so he was like okay But that's making the choices (laughs) that are right for you. And that's okay if you do that. Because some people can beat themselves up and feel like, you know, these deadlines and these time clocks and trying to really say, I got to push it, push it, push it. And sometimes you do need to step back a little bit to regroup, to reprieve, and then to allow yourself to focus in a more better, healthier space for you. If this summer wasn't okay for you, it just wasn't okay for you. The doctor would need to understand that. Whoever else would need to understand that as long as you're comfortable with that. So yeah, sometimes you got to do that. It's okay to stop. It's okay. So how did you get through it emotionally um, leading up to having your daughter? And then what was that emotional relief like when you finally found out that you were, you had a viable pregnancy? Wow. Oh man. Dealing with it emotionally, like I said, some days were good. Some days were bad. Because it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, I will say that the good, look in hindsight, you know, there were a lot of good moments. Um, and, and I say that because the moments that I felt were the worst, it always was like the next step to help me to understand how I move forward. And I know, and this again is my testament to this. I can't, you know, say that for everybody else. There was even one thing that I shared because prior to having my daughter in 2012, I got pregnant, but I had a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and that was devastating to the fact of, I was literally in shock Mm because I felt that was my first time ever in life being pregnant, number one. So all the way from 2004, five now to 2012, I was like, wow, it finally happened. Yay. And I immediately assumed it was a viable pregnancy. Mm. until I went to the ultrasound to confirm the pregnancy and there was no heartbeat. And that was the first time I realized, okay, now that I'm pregnant, it's not guaranteed it's going to be viable. So then my mind switched to looking at vitality. Mm. And I wasn't angry at that miscarriage. I was so disappointed. That was the first time Mm. I can say literally in my life that I had my heart broken. Um, my heart, I was devastated. I was in shock. I literally felt like my heart just kind of cracked a little bit. Mm. Um, because again, I was just assuming it was going to be a viable pregnancy. So I got through that by um, allowing myself to spill it. Mm. I'm that type of person where I will feel my emotions. I'm not going to hide it. I may hide it from you, but behind closed doors, I'm going to cry. I may be angry. I may do what I, if I have to throw a dish, I mean, I'm just that type of person. I believe in like, getting it out of me. I have to release it. And then um, prayer um, and really seeking God, trying to help me to get through this. My faith is very important to me. So relying on that, Um, the people in whom I am closest to, I had, as we went through the process, there were a handful of people that knew that I would communicate with and they knew I could go to them and talk to them about it. So using my supports um, around me, And doing those types of things. Um, When I had my daughter, because of the miscarriage, I panicked because- Can I I ask a follow-up question before we get to the after? So 
I, I want to ask this question because we're dealing with this whole Roe versus Wade overturn and, and millions yeah. of American women right now are struggling to mm. figure out how they're going to get access to the health care that they need. I'm just curious, when uh-huh. you had your miscarriage, was an abortion a treatment for that? Well, yes and no. Um, mm. When you have a miscarriage, it depends on the treatment of the doctor. I did have a DNC and I don't have a problem with saying that. Um, for me, that and was the route that I chose. A... It's basically, it's an abortion of the pregnancy. It's a termination gotcha. of the pregnancy of medical procedure. Anytime a doctor gotcha. goes in and they have to, you know, medically remove the fetus, yeah. then that is deemed an abortion. It's a medical procedure. Gotcha. So I had that procedure. And it's basically where they're dilating your cervix to go in and um, discharge that pregnancy. Um, I chose that route because... I, the doctor was like, well, you can take medication to um, then help you to dilate. And then basically you contract and it's like a period that will come out. Um, But there's pros and cons to everything. For me, I felt that it was the best that I had the doctor remove it. I didn't want to do it. And again, this is my first time experiencing this. So I didn't know what to expect really. And at that point I had already been seeing the doctors on a regular basis. Um, So I felt safe to have my doctor do it. And he did. And that was the route my husband and I chose. Um, I've had other miscarriages since then. I've had a second, I've had two DNCs. Um, And then I had uh, last year I had a miscarriage and the doctor, she declined to do a DNC, but she gave me the medicine to um, dilate. And it felt like I was having a baby. Um, (laughs) And, but that's the thing, you know, your body can do it for me. It was about my health and wellness. And I think with any woman, it's about health and wellness and what's in the best interest of that. I am not one to judge. I'm not one to make decisions for anyone's body. I can only make decisions for my body. And those decisions are something that a woman and her partner or the woman herself should make. And that's where I stand on that. And I don't stand in a seat of condemnation. Um, Those are your decisions, not mine. And um, when you're having a doctor assist you, um, it's safe. It's, it's healthy. It is a route that can help to secure your life. And typically, you know, with DNCs, there's no heartbeat. It's the pregnancy is over. In my case, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but everybody's situation is different. And who am I to tell you what to do with your body? Yeah, that's honestly one of my biggest fears. Cause I was talking to like, my mom, because I've been keeping up with the with the abortion laws, especially in Georgia, uh-huh. being a very conservative state. And I always be like, mom, yeah, Arizona, see? too, girl, it's it's scary. And I was like, mom, did you see this? She uh-huh. was like, why? Why do you care? And I'm like, well, um, as a woman who I know probably won't get pregnant on my own. No, I don't really am as concerned with personally, like personally concerned with maybe having to get an abortion to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. But I am very concerned about potentially needing access to abortion to terminate or remove or end, you know, a a pregnancy that is no longer viable. Like that is very much a concern for me because I do anticipate my journey to conception to be difficult. (laughs) Mm. You know, and that's the thing, what people don't realize of how that may impact infertility treatment. And so I am just kind of, because, you know, and I'm, and I'm just saying this, I don't know what that looks like down the road. I haven't quite heard anything as of yet. Arizona is also a very conservative state Um, when it comes to things of that nature, you know, um, pro-life, pro-choice, and even surrogacy is illegal here. Yeah. Um, so even if I wanted to do surrogacy, and we talk about that in one of the episodes, which I'm okay with surrogacy. My husband is like, nah, he's like, I have trust issues. <laughs> like, I'm not okay with it. <laughs> and that's him. But I, you know, felt that if we found someone that was, you know, replicable and all that, I would be okay with it. And he's is that like, expensive? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It can be yeah. very expensive, hundreds of thousands. Oh, oh, oh. Um, can I sign yeah. up? <laughs> you know I'm reputable (laughs) but yeah it can be expensive and then just the whole legal part and if 
we decide to the whole, I would have to lawyer up and, you know, do all that, those types of things to just try to make it happen. However, you know, infertility and just pregnancy period, it is the one thing you have no control over in life. When it happens, it happens. And after that, you cannot put your hand down there and manipulate it. Doctors can't even go inside of you and try to manipulate it that I'm aware of to make it more viable and to, you know, they may have things to help sustain it, you know, whether it be giving more progesterone to help with progesterone levels or medicines for cervix and stuff like that. However, it is the one thing that kind of takes its own course. And when we have issues of Roe versus Wade, it does have implications into the infertility world because now people's um, options are in the balance as well. And whether what to do with their frozen eggs, what to do when the event of a miscarriage, all those things are now in limbo. And so I'm hoping that, you know, it doesn't create devastation across the infertility world. Um, and yeah, I think that people's choices are their choice. And, you know, believe it or not, I am for me, I'm pro-life, but I'm not going to put that on other people. Again, I cannot. I cannot tell you what to do with your body. That is a choice between your you and your partner on what it is you're going to do or yourself or what you're going to do, you know, with your body. So I can't inflict that on other people. I wish that the United States government and the Supreme Court <laughs> felt the same way. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an important conversation on on so uh -huh. many levels. And when people say that, abortion is healthcare like that is absolutely true like like you said in your case you had you had to have that done twice in order you mm -hmm. know what I mean and it could have been potentially life-saving like who knows like what the potential implications might have been if you didn't mm -hmm. have access to those treatments mm -hmm. and the ability to release you know the fetus from your body like who knows like yeah. why, why should you have to know but Girl, that's right. my little rant on that. No, I hear you. And I will <laughs> say this. If you're going to be pro-choice, you have to be, I mean, pro-life, you have to be from conception to the grave and mm. supporting people and families, children, access to health care, number one, access to daycare, access to good food and housing and all these social issues. So it's just not dealing with a pregnant woman. It's even, okay, now the life is here. Now what are you going to do? So we have to be a society that supports families. And sometimes in our society, I don't always see that. I've worked years in case management and helping families that are in need that can get basic resources for their children, for yeah. themselves. So, you know, it, it's, it's a big thing. But no, you bring up a valid point with that. You really do. Well, thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. that part. So, so I want to circle back. So now okay. you've had your, you had to have your DNC um, mm -hmm. and now you've had your, your viable pregnancy, you have your daughter mm -hmm. and um, like, what was the impact of that on your emotional state and your relationship? Like, that's kind of where I want to end our conversation is yeah. like, how did all of this not only affect you emotionally as a woman, but also you as a wife and your husband um, in terms of the health of your marriage? Mm -hmm. Well, again, like I said, when I got pregnant with her because of a previous miscarriage, I was like, OK, I'm pregnant, but I was holding my breath because mm -hmm. I just wanted her to be OK. Mm -hmm. And my husband, he was always he always knew every time I got pregnant. He always knew before I did. It's like, you're pregnant. And I'm like, Ugh. and he's like, and I know it's, this time it's going to be girl. And he was right. He even went out before she came. He went and bought these little shoes, these little pink shoes that we have. And he's like, it's going to be girl. I already know. It did. It was this excitement. It's getting mm -hmm. pregnant. It's not underrated. For me, it wasn't. It was one of the best feelings that I have felt. Yes, with that fear, because, you know, I was like, I need a heartbeat. I was just thinking of the heartbeat. When we got the heartbeat, it's like I could <sighs> relax. I, my pregnancy was fine. Um, it, everything was going great. My seventh month of pregnancy, then I started having some complications. Um, I started getting the onset of preeclampsia, which is elevated high blood pressure in pregnancy. 
So I didn't get put on magnesium or anything like that. I was just being watched every week. I would have to go into my doctors and because when you're pregnant and you go to your well, your checkup, they make you give a urine sample and they check it for protein. And if your protein mm-hmm. is too high, then it can be an indicator of preeclampsia. So my protein was high in my seventh month and I kept getting monitored for that. Again, a change in diet. My doctor was like, reduce your salt. Cause see, I had opted for, uh, I had a midwife. Mm-hmm. I had a doula. Really? I was going to do, yeah, I wanted to do this home birth, but to assuage my husband's feelings, he was like, okay, I'm all about you trying to be natural. He's like, but I can't have this baby at home. Cause if something go wrong, I want to be, you know, at the hospital. So we found a hospital by our house that had a birthing clinic in it mm-hmm. with a midwife. Um, and then I found a doula um, and now she's a midwife and she just delivered my cousin's baby a few months ago. Um, and she's a black lady. She's known throughout the community and helping black and brown women have healthy pregnancies and all that. So, so anyway, what is a doula? Like, what, what uh, yeah, yeah. So a doula is basically support and advocate for you during pregnancy. So they help you to get through pregnancy, whether it's diet or exercise, um, checking on you. She did birthing classes with us. They give you tips and tricks during your pregnancy and they're just there for support. And then they're Mm -hmm. also there for support during your birthing. So they are there to massage you, to talk to you, to be your corner man Mm -hmm. and to really get you through that. And they also teach your partner how to get you through labor and delivery. Mm. and um, even after post um, delivery they help with the postpartum process as well so they're basically a support and they advocate for you during the whole birthing process as well particularly if you have to go to a hospital they're the Mm. ones that can let the physicians know of your birthing plan Mm. and when you're in between contractions really be that voice to speak on your behalf as well Mm. are they covered by insurance no, that wasn't mm. out of pocket. And that's the thing, right? I believe, particularly in the United States of America, everybody should have access to a doula to support. It sounds like this, it. Yeah, because it really is a production having a baby. Um, and the production is really, you're the main character as the mom and the baby is the supporting actor, I would say. But maybe they have a main actor in it. But it is all about support. And particularly for Black maternal um, rates of we're dying, we're dying in hospitals. And that's why one, I didn't want to go to a hospital. Mm. Um, but I went grudgingly to kind of appease my husband, but yet have the support that I felt that I needed to advocate for me. Um, because they also have a medical lingo. They know the ropes and stuff of that hospital. She had worked at St. Joe's before with other mothers. So I felt that if we were ever put in a position that she could advocate for us and she was great. And, um, you know, Looking back, I wouldn't change it. If I ever had another child, I would have a doula. And if I could do a midwife and have a VBAC, you know, a vaginal birth after cesarean, I would try to do that. If not, I would have, I had to have an emergency C-section because my daughter, Mm. my daughter came 10 weeks early Mm. because the cord was wrapped around her um, neck. So during that part of me going to getting my preeclampsia, had subsided because I reduced my salt. I just continued to walk around the neighborhood at night and I was resolved back at normal. But on one particular visit, um, my daughter's heart rate was so low, they couldn't find it. Mm. So my midwife immediately put me into the emergency um, prenatal ward and her heartbeat was just inconsistent or undetectable for about a week. And so they decided to do an emergency C-section and I had told them prior to I said, I believe that her umbilical cord is wrapped around her neck because her movements mm. were very herky-jerky. It felt like I've never been bungee cord j- jumping, but just from what I, the visuals that I've seen, it was like she would go down and be yanked back up mm. inside of me. So I gave my doctor my hypothesis and she just denounced it. No, there's no way the umbilical cord can be choking her. And again, I kept stressing the issue to the point I told them, I said, look, you guys have done all these sophisticated tests, which they were even doing tests to look at her umbilical cord and the blood flow and all these types of things in her position. Long story short, they did the emergency C-section, went in, the cord was wrapped around her so tight and she didn't cry. She just said, ah, like that. Mm. I was like, she can breathe. 
Mm. And I was laying there saying, I told you so. I told you, I told you, I told you the cord was wrapped around her. Cause she even called it out. She was like two nodules or whatever the medical term was. My husband goes, what does that mean? Oh, the cord was around her twice. And she kind of brushed over it. Cause she knew at that point, my mm. mama bear instincts were right. Mm. So, so uh, that is so important. So that was something that I definitely, and we did talk about this a good bit about the the care, but to your point about black maternal health and mm-hmm. it being a real issue in this country, like what is your advice to women in terms of how they can be advocates for themselves? You know, you mentioned having a doula and mm-hmm. after your first instance of denying your intuition when the balloon came out right Mm -hmm. you decided within yourself that you were not going to deny your intuition and while you may not be wanting to deny your intuition that ain't gonna stop the doctors from Mm -hmm. denying your intuition so how do we as black women properly advocate for ourselves and be seen and heard to not only protect ourselves but our our children I mean could Mm -hmm. you imagine like if they had not gotten you the care that you needed in that emergency C-section that could have cost your child her life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's a very serious yeah. thing. It is serious. Now let me back up because with that appointment I went to before my daughter, before I was admitted into the hospital, that appointment was just to check my blood pressure and my protein and my urine to make sure that everything was okay, which it was. And they were getting ready to send us home. I had prior to that, I had been telling my husband, something seems off. I was even telling my midwife, something seems off. Her movement seemed a little bit more restricted. And everybody was like, okay. And they kind of heard me and I just kept saying it. So as they were getting ready to send us home, my husband spoke up and we, he and I were talking. He was like, I'm going to have them check her heartbeat just to make sure she's okay. Cause I was concerned about her movement. And I was like, okay, cool. Thank God he requested that and had an inclination. Even I that's when we found out her heart rate was low. Mm. And that's when they admitted me that night for observation and just continue to progress. With that, I encourage everyone to do your research. Thank God for Google. It doesn't always work out sometimes, but sometimes it does. Mm -hmm. And what that did for us, it helped us to come armed with questions during that week Mm. span that I was in the hospital. to the point where the doctor asked me, did you go to medical school? And I said, no, I didn't go to medical school. I got my phone here, you know, and she was shocked. She's like, oh my gosh, you guys seem so well astute and just so well-versed on this. And, you know, I'm just shocked. Most people, they just look at me and she said, they literally go, oh, okay. I said, no, we're not going to go with your plan. If you feel that their plan isn't prescribed for you and what you need, it's okay to say no. And like I said, Mm -hmm. I have told doctors no before as to why I changed some doctors because I did not feel comfortable with what they were Mm. trying to do with my body. Mm. And um, I even shared the story on the podcast and with you before about how I left that one doctor's office. I literally, she told me she didn't want to be my doctor because she thought I was high risk. I was fat, black and overage. And so I told my husband, I said, okay, well, hand me my panties and we're leaving. Girl. And she's like, well, I'm going to examine you. I said, no, you're not. You just told me you don't want to be my doctor. You haven't taken no blood work. You haven't even looked at my cervix. So why am I going to let you sit here with these word curses and not, you know, examine me as I should be due for an exam? And no. So since you don't want to be my doctor, you're not going to get this um, insurance money. We're out. You got your co-payment. Have a good day. Girl. And so you have to really set those boundaries and be firm with them and let the people around you, whether it be your doctor or your midwife or your doula or whomever, your husband, your boyfriend, whoever it is, this is what I want to need. I even watched that documentary with Serena Williams and she being Serena Williams, she had to really tell them, no, I've had pulmonary embolisms before. Mm -hmm. I'm having one now after her C-section, she they were going to send her home and she felt the symptoms of her having a blood clot and mm. she made them examine her. She said, if she would not have demanded an MRI, she could have died. Mm. So sometimes we have to get forceful. We have to take it by force and be demanding of it. And it's sad that we have to do that, but sometimes we do. Ooh, 
Oh, girl, that that bit of advice is a mm-hmm. fantastic place for us to end this interview. Okay. I know we have so much we didn't even get to talk about the impact on your relationship, but that just means one of two things. Okay. It means that you're either going to have to come back for us to okay. finish or <laughs> everyone out there, you guys need to get into Beyond Conception, the podcast, because Shamika and her husband really go through every phase of their infertility journey with the audience through the show. So if you are longing for more and you feel like there was parts of this story that we left out, like either encourage Shami to come back or get into beyond conception wow <laughs> you're both. so kind <laughs> you're so kind thank you for that and I will yes. put this disclaimer out there you know we haven't posted something in a minute because of our hectic work schedules and um looking at rebranding and stuff like that we are planning on coming back in the spring of 2023 so but those other episodes thank you for promoting that and having me on today to share my story and hopefully be of encouragement to those listening so thank you so much you're so very welcome girl don't apologize you got plenty of episodes up for the people to watch they 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 will be very entertained and captivated until you get ready (laughs) well thank you i appreciate that yes as you know it is sometimes when you are a one person show you know some people have producers and all that But when you're just getting going, it's a lot. But I'm so grateful to people like you who have been listening. And I still get like on my Instagram, I still get like DMs and stuff from people like certain episodes and stuff like that. I just appreciate the love and support. And y'all continue to listen to the Sugar Free Podcast. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much. I'll drop in the show notes links to the show, your Instagram. And so quickly before we let you go, we have to do our Sugar Free Quickies. Okay. So the sugar-free quickies is a series of either or questions and you have to choose either or you cannot choose both or none. You ready? Okay. Okay. So you kind of answer it like my guests always give it away during the show. So I try to make them Mm -hmm. unique (laughs) to the episode. So home birth or hospital, which one you choose in? Home birth. I got to, I got to learn more about this. I'm like in the dark. All right. Yeah. Next one, clear lip gloss or bold red lip? Uh, bold red. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, we are partners with the lip bar. So if you're looking to get oh, into yes. some good, sassy uh, lip colors for pigmented ladies, check out the lip yes. bar. I love their products. Oh, yay. Good. That's good to know. There might be some gifts coming your way. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. A couple more. If you could choose, would you rather have a boy or a girl for your next child? Well, I would prefer a boy. Now, why? It's because I already have a fantastic daughter and I don't think another one could just outshine her. So I wouldn't want to do that to another girl. So I'd have to give a boy a shot. All right. Well, we're going to speak that little boy into existence for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so when you're going out with your husband, Netflix and chill mm-hmm. or nice dinner out? Oh, well, we're foodies, so it would have to be a nice meal. Mm-hmm. Nice out, a nice outing, nice meal. Mm-hmm. I love that. Y'all are still dating. Yeah, we do. <laughs> We've been trying to be so intentional with that. We'll be 18 years, August, wow. August 7th. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Okay, final question. In a rap battle, who's winning, Jay-Z or Kanye? Come on, now. <laughs> Jay all day. <laughs> I love Jay-Z. Now, I like Kanye. It's like, it's kind of split, but I, I'm leaning more towards the Jay. See, I, I agree that it's not, uh, it's a, it is a foregone c- conclusion, but the conclusion for me ain't Jay. Okay. Is yay? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much again for playing and for joining me. I am so incredibly grateful to you for sharing with us your story, for your courage, for your vulnerability and your authenticity. It's so important for us, especially as black women and women of color, women in general, for us to be having these conversations because it's hard. It's hard. And it's 
even harder when you feel like you're going through it alone. So I hope Mm -hmm. that today's conversation helps to make somebody out there feel a little less alone on their journey to motherhood. And so we are with you as our 6.1 other million women who are going through exactly what you're going through. So thank you so much again for joining us. And thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you check back in next week for another great episode, Real Talk. And of course, more of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try formally today.